You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that am. So today's going to be really simple. Just answer a couple questions. Talk about the Vikings and the 49ers. Talk about Tennessee and Baltimore. And that's it. Piece of cake, man. But before we get to that, special thank you to John, Lauren, and Rich. Thank you all very much for jumping in on Patreon. Also want to say thank you to Idan and Kyle, if I didn't already, for... Uh, your support in other means, through other means. That would be Venmo, for those that are wondering. If you also would like to support the Packernet podcast, got Venmo and PayPal, but also patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy, you can jump in to support the podcast regularly for as little as a dollar a month. I can tell you right now, this is going to be rough. It took me four tries to do the intro because I slurred my words four times in a row. Something is wrong with me today. So you're going to have to... Buckle up and bear with me. I'll make it worth your while, man. It's going to take me three hours again to do this podcast, but we're going to do it right. Uh, Once again, anybody that gives to the podcast is going to be entered for a giveaway. That's through any means, Venmo, uh, Patreon, PayPal, whatever. Why do you got to make companies with similar sounding names, man? You're making my affliction worse. And, as a special bonus, which I'm sure we're going to get there, if we cross the 50 uh, donor mark on Patreon, Patreon, that one, then the giveaway is going to be you waltz into the store, pick any single item that you like. Any design, t-shirt, sweatshirt, long sleeve t-shirt, um, <laughs> tank top, whatever. We are at 49 donors on um, Patreon. So one more and we're there. So I do hope that you'll jump in and help support the podcast. And also, I don't know what's going to happen with the Green Bay Packers. Obviously, I think they're going to win. I hope they're going to win. But let me just take a second to encourage you. If the Packers lose, and I know you're going to need some time to recover from that. We all will. I want you to keep coming back because the NFL season is a year-round season. And if that's not how you operate yet, let me, let me promise you that there's always stuff to talk about. In fact, free agency and the draft are some of the most exciting times, in my opinion, of the entire NFL season. So... Hang in there. It's a long off season, but you don't have to suffer with no Green Bay Packers. I'm going to keep bringing you Packers, man. Or whoa, man. It's a big crowd now. We're getting pretty diverse. i got to broaden my vocabulary <laughs> to whoa, man. <laughs> what else? Get in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. Thank you to all of you that have been talking to my mindless robot. I know he's not a great conversationalist yet, but he's getting there. He's working on it. Otherwise... A five-star iTunes rating and and review would be greatly appreciated. And let me ask you one more thing. This podcast is broadcast on two different podcasts. 
Some of you are listening to the custom Green Bay Packers Talk radio podcast, and the logo says Packernet, and I understand that can be confusing. You can do whatever you want. I understand it's very cool. You get a bunch of different podcasts in one. It's a great little thing. If you're mostly just listening to that to get my podcast, let me encourage you to flip over to the actual Packernet podcast. The only reason I say that is because, again, I'm trying to move up the rankings in iTunes and whatnot, and I think part of the reason that it's not quite so high is because a lot of the people listening are listening on that podcast. So essentially it's splitting my listens and downloads in half, according to iTunes. I still get all the downloads on my end, but iTunes is looking at only about me getting about half of them. So they're like, ah, nobody listens to that podcast. I don't know where all these reviews are coming from, but nobody listens to it. He must be paying people to do it. I'm not, by the way, and thank you for that. But I'm just, just, just a thought, if you wouldn't mind at least subscribing to the Packernet Podcast. It's the one that's called the Packernet Podcast. Um, And then listening to or downloading that one as well, that would be very, very much appreciated. Maybe that'll help. Anyways, why don't we take a break and let's start talking about some football. I miss Hank Williams Jr. so much. I gotta admit, there's a part of me knowing that I don't have to go anywhere today that doesn't mind that there's a lot of snow outside because I don't have to go outside. There's an ice skating rink on the roads and here in Madison they don't believe in salt, so they throw down sand which does nothing. But I don't care because I don't have to go anywhere. But there will come a time when I'm going to have to go outside, and that time will be horrible. But just know it's almost done, and that in your future is a beautiful trip to Arizona for the Cactus League spring training. If you're a fan of the Diamondbacks, Cubs, White Sox, Reds, Indians, Rockies, Royals, Angels, Dodgers, Brewers, Athletics, Padres, Giants, Mariners, Rangers, or just baseball in general, there's no place better to be on planet Earth than Arizona during the Cactus League. So if you'd rather hang out in 75-degree weather in February as opposed to hanging out here where it's probably going to be foot of snow and 10 below, let me encourage you to visit visitarizona.com slash springtraining. Let's try go to visitarizona.com slash springtraining. Less confusing that way. And if you're planning on hunkering down, make sure you get something nice and warm from Mac Weldon. I was actually talking to my wife about this yesterday because I tend to get the cheapest, cheapest stuff ever. Generally, the way it works is my wife is like, oh, you need some more shoes. Do you like these, these, or these? And I pick the cheapest one. I have blisters on my ankles and my pinky toe because I got $30 boots that are made like garbage. You spend more money and more time trying to avoid spending money than just getting quality stuff, especially for stuff like boots and coats and gloves, things that you're not rotating every day. You just wear them every day. So if you want to invest in something like a real nice jacket, check out MacWeldon.com. They've got the warm knit fleece vest. They've got the Atlas jacket. If you're looking for a real nice quality hat, gloves, scarves, slippers, again, that, that stuff that you're just going to be having for about you know the next 10 years, and those things you definitely don't want to skimp on, make sure you're getting your quality from a quality company like Mac Weldon. And as always, for listening to the podcast, you're going to get 20% off your first order. Just enter promo code OVERTIME at MacWeldon.com. Again, that's 20% off your first order. Just enter promo code OVERTIME when you visit MacWeldon.com. And because they want you to be comfortable, if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you get to keep it, and they'll still refund you. No questions asked. MacWeldon.com. Use promo code OVERTIME for 20% off your first order. And I, I, I just, it's been on my mind ever since I said it, so let's just do it real quick.
I'm sorry, but if that doesn't get you jacked up, I mean, you and I can be acquaintances. I just don't think we're going to be really close friends. And I don't care how many garbage rule changes they make, getting rid of Hank Williams Jr. was the worst decision the NFL has ever made. I'm still not over it. That was like, what, 15 years ago, 10 years ago? Still not over it. I need that man screaming, are you ready for some football? Otherwise, I'm just not ready for some football, dude. I'm not, I'm not ready. They're like, are you ready for some? I'm like, no, where's Hank? I'm not ready yet. I'm still waiting for Hank to get me ready. Terrible decision. But anyways, now that we're all ready for some football, why don't we start off with the injury report? My name- Thank you, Rogers. At this particular time, there is nobody listed as out or doubtful. We do have four players listed as questionable. Number one is Kenny Clark. Obviously, that is the biggest if. Um, I don't think there was ever really a super big doubt that he wouldn't play. The biggest question for me is how hindered is he going to be? Are they going to put him on a snap count? Is there a high risk of re-injury? Is he going to be playing at, you know, 70% because, you know, his back hurts? That's kind of the biggest question. Danny Vitale, I think the biggest thing for him, he hasn't been all that effective. However, it's one of those things where he's the only guy that's a fullback on the team, and he has a role in this offense. He's somebody that has to be accounted for. Whether or not teams are scared of him when he's in the backfield with his speed and ability, you have to account for him, and when you don't, he gets open. Rodgers can't hit him in the open field, but... Again, that's that whole miscommunication thing. Either way, if you're a defense and you see a fullback running down the field, you're probably going to have to make some adjustments and and worry about him. If we don't have him, certain things get ripped out of the book. Unless we want to put Mercedes Lewis or something back at fullback, I don't know. There's just certain plays that just don't exist anymore because we don't have a fullback. Uh, Dexter is sick. By the way, this illness thing, which is now seemingly hitting me, is what's hitting Danny Vitale on top of his knee. Dexter Williams has an illness, is questionable. Probably he wasn't going to play anyways. And then Tyler Lancaster also did not practice um, on Thursday or Friday. So this is seemingly, again, how bad could this illness possibly be that you can't even play? I mean, are we seriously talking about like 102 fever? Because I I get it, man. If you're sick, just lay up, don't practice, let's get rid of this thing, and then let's get you on the field. But I'm just wondering, like, is is this seriously going to take Tyler Lancaster out of this game? Because he's pretty stout against the run. He can't do anything as a pass rusher. But in a game where we got to make sure that they're not getting big yardage on the ground because that's sort of ground zero if they're running and running well and effectively we're in trouble so it's it starts there make sure they're not doing that and then we got to from there worry about the other stuff but tyler plays a pretty big role in that so i'm hoping he's going to play i don't know questionable is usually a pretty good sign that they're going to play right doubtful means you probably not questionable means probably in in my experience uh, for the Seahawks, Mike Upati is officially listed as doubtful, which, again, means probably not, which is pretty wild. I mean, he's not, again, he's not a super top-tier player as it is, but a team that has a pretty solid pass rush, the best pass rush duo in terms of sack totals, you know, Kenny Clark, it's just, it's not a great situation to have Mike Upati on. On top of that, still questionable, Ezekiel Ansah with his neck injury, Marquise Blair has an ankle injury, their safety tackle Dwayne Brown as well as George Fant are still listed as questionable that's going to be again the biggest thing if those two guys are out that's massive if one of them's going to be out let's hope it's Dwayne Brown because he's a legit tackle George Fant again as we talked about yesterday meh he's been doing better but is still not great and and again I don't know who's playing tackle if both of these guys are out obviously they have a contingency plan maybe they got a guard that was a tackle in college I don't know we'll find out either way nightmare scenario for the Seattle Seahawks and then additionally defensive tackle Quentin Jefferson again outside inside the guy also has an ankle injury listed as questionable so of all the injury stuff Mike Upati being listed as doubtful is kind of big news 
and then Dwayne Brown and George Fant is going to be the biggest thing to keep an eye on, as well as, you know, for, for the Packers, finding out who's not, if, if anybody's not playing, and then again, if they are, the biggest question is Kenny Clark, how how's he doing? Are we getting 100%, 90, 80, 70, what, what are we getting out of him? All right, on to the couple of questions now before we get into today's games. So Brian in the Facebook group asked the question, how much has Rodgers declined? Here's, here's the hardest part about this question. Because you can you can look at it from a PFF grade standpoint. You can look at it from just what I've seemingly seen standpoint. There's a lot of different ways to address it. But here's here's my biggest question before I can even touch that. How much of Rodgers' seeming decline has to do with the talent around him? Here, here's the, the biggest thing for me is the worst season that I think we've seen from Rodgers, and PFF would back this up, was 2015. There was a seeming rebound after that, and depending on how much you put stock in PFF, that includes this year. And again, as I talked about, there there are a lot of things that are, you know, for example, overthrows that we don't know 100% are Aaron Rodgers' fault. For example, as I mentioned, I don't think it's a coincidence that Aaron Rodgers always seems to overthrow MVS and Danny Vitale, but sort of very rarely overthrows Devontae Adams, or Geronimo Allison for that reason or Jay Kumaro, right? It happens, but not to the same degree. There seem to be a little bit more in sync. I also don't think it's a coincidence necessarily, and it doesn't mean that it's 100% the talent around him. The problem is I need to know to what degree it's the talent and to what degree it's a Rodgers decline or a scheme problem or whatever else. Because that's what's so hard about football is that everything is so intertwined with everything else, right? It, it, it's probably not a coincidence that Drew Brees is playing some of the best football of his extremely long career toward the end of his career when he has maybe the best wide receiver in football now to throw to. And he has Alvin Kamara out of the backfield. And he's got, you know, Taysom Hill there to do whatever Taysom Hill does. And he's got Jared Cook at tight end, although he had Jimmy Graham in the past. But still, I mean, it, it there's there's all this stuff around people, and very rarely do you see elite quarter, quarterbacks with no talent around them. I mean, you give me a healthy A.J. Green and Tyler Eifert on the Cincinnati Bengals, and I'll draft Andy Dalton in my fantasy league. With Joe Mixon, I would do it as my QB2. I've won a league with that before. And so I guess the way that I'm approaching this, and I'm not discounting it, because remember, I'm the guy that hung on to Dom Capers way too long. It's not his fault he doesn't have any talent. It's, It's not Ted's fault. It's not Mike McCarthy's fault. It's not anybody's fault. It's always something else's fault, right? I don't like blaming guys. I like blaming something else. And so I want to take the same approach as I took with a lot of these other guys. And it turns out in most of these cases, I was wrong. Let's, before we really dive into this, it's his fault. Let's load him up. All right, let's get the guy some talent and then let's assess what's going on. Let's see what Brian Gutekunst can do in the offseason. Let's give him another year in this system with some real top tier talent and, and really just remove excuses is all we're doing. Because it, there's, we, we have that ability to say it's not his fault. And maybe we're just lying to ourselves. And if you believe that, that's fine. I, I don't care. That's that's just trying to figure out what's going on. And there is something going on. If you care about it, you got to put blame somewhere. I'm just saying I'm, I'm excited about what Brian Gutekunst can do. And then if next year, if we do load up on offensive talent, and it's very clear Devontae's top tier, and we get a guy like Jalen Rager who's super talented, and we can see him getting open, and the ball's not getting to him, and they're not in sync also, and the ball's, you know, it's just, it's the same kind of issues, then maybe for 2021 we start talking about what are we going to do about this? Because it seems to be a problem that isn't getting fixed. Because I don't know how else to upgrade this offense. So that's kind of just where I'm leaving it. You can call it a a cop-out if you want, but 
I think it's fair to cop out at this point because we're, you know, it's 13-3. and three. we got a playoff game coming up. The offseason's right around the corner where we're talking about free agency and the draft. So we'll be able to dive in a little bit more, let's say after the draft, when a lot of these things are concluded, to see, okay, Gutekunst did a lot. This is Rogers' opportunity to show he's still got it. He can still be the MVP of the league. Or Gutekunst doesn't do anything, and then we all just get frustrated and go, this isn't, this isn't great, right? This, this is not good. But let's, let's just wait. Because obviously I, I agree I'm not happy with the production. I just don't necessarily have enough information. I, I think the, the simple answer is Rodgers isn't accurate right now, and that's a problem. But let's let's see what happens when we get a little bit more talent on the offensive side of the ball. And and again, really, I'm just talking about if we can get a wide receiver and or a tight end, that's that should be at least good enough to say, okay, this, this is a big improvement. Just one new wide receiver. Ideally, however, a tight end because Matt LaFleur really likes, similar to Mike McCarthy, everything kind of revolves around the tight end. They really want and need a tight end. So that'll be a big thing to, to check out. But we got some time to worry about that uh, later on down the line. So the next question, and I don't know exactly who it came from, but it came via text message on my uh, Google Voice deal. There is a, uh, it's also in the description if you want to call and leave a voicemail or text a question. But the question is, do you believe that the Rodgers to Lazard connection is what will take us the distance? Lazard's route running and the way he moves uh, toward the ball reminds me a lot of a young Jordy. Um, I'll leave out the young Jordy thing. And as I've said about Lazard, I'm always skeptical because I'm always skeptical of later round and undrafted free agent type guys, which Lazard is. He's an undrafted free agent. However, if you look at the PFF grades for the wide receivers over the course of this season, it's Devontae and Lazard and everybody else. I mean, Devontae is on top. Alan Lazard, he's got a 70-ish grade, so he's a good wide receiver. Everyone else is just kind of average to bad. In fact, if we filter out for minimum targets, in other words, people that have actually played regularly, and Alan Lazard has gotten way more targets. In fact, Marquez and Geronimo, their grades are both in the 50s, which is below average. Geronimo Allison has gotten 31 targets, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and this is, by the way, from week 7 to week 17, which is when Alan Lazard kind of took over or started getting more regular snaps. Alan Lazard has been targeted 46 times. He actually has 31 receptions, which is as many it's as many targets as Geronimo has had in that same time. So basically, since week seven, they've identified Alan Lazard as our number two wide receiver. He's been number two since then. As far as his receiving grade, he's actually 62nd overall, so he's just in that number two kind of range. Overall grade, which includes his blocking and whatnot, which is phenomenal, he's 49th, which is great. I mean, that's fantastic for a wide receiver. Devontae's actually 24th in that time. Most of what he did, most of the damage he did and dominant performances were early in the season. So looking at from 7 on, it hasn't quite been top tier. Um, Alan Lazard is 52nd in yards in that time. Only two touchdowns. He is 44th in yards after the catch, which is at 13.3. Excuse me, that's yards per reception. Yards after the catch per reception, he's 45th at 4.2. He's tied with Cody Latimer for uh, longest reception, which is 43 yards. He's 53rd there. He's 50th in first downs. He's gotten us 20, 21 first downs. Tied for 60th in drops with three. And so just about any category statistically or grade-wise, he's kind of in that 40, 50, 60 range, which means he's a number two wide receiver. So the question is somewhat hard to gauge in terms of what you mean by it, because is the Rodgers to Lazard connection what will take us the distance? I mean, it's kind of an easy no, not because I don't think Lazard is, is a legitimate number two wide receiver. I just don't think the number two wide receiver is going to make the difference between winning a Super Bowl and losing to the Seahawks. 
but yeah, I, I, I would say he's a number two wide receiver right now. I don't think that he's you know irreplaceable to the point where a lot of Packer fans would take it. We don't need a wide receiver. We have Alan Lazard, and he's a number two. No, that's nonsense. Let me read you his grades. And remember, 60s are average, 70s are good, 50s are below average, and then you know 80s are very good. Since week seven, when he took over, 64, 74, 63, 59, 53, 87, 55, 61, 63, 66. The last four weeks, he's been average or below average. He's had one very good game, one good game, a bunch of average, and a bunch of below average. This is not a guy that you say, we don't need a replacement. We don't need to get a first-round or second-round wide receiver. We don't need to go out and try to get a Michael Thomas or a Tyreek Hill because we have Alan Lazard. That's that's a silly conversation to have. So I like Alan Lazard. I'm very glad we have him because we'd be in a lot of trouble without him. I love what he brings as a blocker. His size brings a, a massive dynamic, and I mean massive, 6'5", 227. We've seen his go-up-and-get-it ability, but I don't know that a number two wide receiver like Alan Lazard really makes the difference. If I'm answering your question directly, is that going to put us over the top? No. I mean, it might have put us over the top of something, but there's a. let, let me put it this way. There's a lot of guys that I would say would be much more detrimental if we lost them than Alan Lazard. You know, Rodgers, we're done. Devontae, we're in big trouble. You know, either of our tackles, I'm scared. Aaron Jones, I'm worried. Zadarius, we're probably done. I mean, legitimately, he's he's up there. He's probably number two behind Aaron Rodgers in terms of I don't think we're going to win without. You know, Preston brings a lot. Kenny, we're in trouble. Any of our corners, I'm a little bit worried. Not super worried because we've got three that are pretty talented and have been recently, but pretty worried. You know, Alan Lazard, eh. I mean, it's not good. But again, the question being, is he going to put us over the top? I don't know about that, but very glad we have him. But then finally, Dustin asked, do you think bringing Randall Cobb back makes any sense? I get where you're coming from in terms of needing a slot guy. But again, I'm, I'm excited about giving Gutekunst the keys and letting him go out and find people. And I don't know that a 30-year-old Randall Cobb um, is really the answer. If you look back over this past season, I mean, he, he took a step forward in some ways. 828 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, he hasn't had that many yards since 2016. Still not a lot of touchdowns. But if you look at, for example, the fact that the guy had nine drops and two fumbles this year, that's pretty terrible. I mean, we're talking nine drops on 55 receptions. What is that, one in six times when the ball gets to him, he drops it? So, you know, I I, I just have a lot of faith in Brian Gutekunst. If I thought he was a dunce cap, I would just say sure. Or if he's just a walking dunce cap, I would say let's just bring back Cobb. Let's let's. He, we got a, a floor here, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I like the potential. I, I I'm shooting for, I, I, I want to get that one elite player. All right, we Gutekunst has done a good job in the draft as far as getting quality. Right, Jair is good. Savage seems to be pretty good. Elton Jenkins seems pretty good. All right, there, there's, there's guys every year that he's getting that are, that are just quality starters. But I want that one guy. I want the Michael Thomas. I want the Tyreek Hill. Give me that one guy that is like. This is a freak, just a walking freak show. Not necessarily DK Metcalf physical freak show, just, you know, Michael Thomas, there's nothing special about the guy. Same with Devontae, by the way. And yes, I would take another Devontae. I mean, speed-wise, height-wise, I mean, what is he, 6'1", 4'5", kind of guy, but just a good football player. And again, this is this is a stacked offensive class, especially at wide receiver. One of the better wide receiver years we've seen in a very long time. And I just trust Brian Gutekunst, whether it's first round, second round, whatever, he's going to go out and find a gem. And I want to give him that opportunity. And rather than going back and, and, and essentially playing scared and saying, let's go get Cobb because I don't think we're going to do better. 
and I'm just scared of what we have, and I don't want to repeat this. And I understand that fear. We need to improve this. And Randall Cobb does have, I think, a floor. He is going to provide something, and he, he, he provides that dynamic that the Packers need of just picking up those quick, easy yards. But I just believe that Brian Gutekunst has the ability to go out and get a 24-year-old Randall Cobb, you know, one of those guys in his prime. Randall Cobb hasn't been given a grade over 70 since 2016. He hasn't been a solid wide receiver since probably 2014. He, he, Randall Cobb had a three-year st- stretch of being a dominant wide receiver, 2012, 13, and 14. After that, he had one good year. It was in 2016, 2015, 17, 18, and 19. He's been average. And at this point, again, he's 30 years old. He's had more drops this year than he had since 2015. His two fumbles are the most he's ever had in his entire career. I just think things are going backward. And, and really, if you think about it, with Mike McCarthy being out there now, I mean, maybe he's not a big fan of Randall Cobb, and that's part of the reason they got rid of him. But that might be a, a, a good re-signing. Despite what everyone's saying about them having no money and they're going to have to let Dak walk or whatever because they don't have any money, they got a ton of money. They got more than enough money to lock everybody up. So I, I you know, I, I'm just, I'm just an optimist, and that's part of the reason I keep talking about it. Never, you know, there's some people that get upset. Why, why are you worrying about the future? Let's focus on the Seattle Seahawks game. Not worried, man. I'm excited. I'm excited about a bunch of stuff. It's like if you have two vacations planned, right? We're we're going to Orlando tomorrow, and then we're going to Bora Bora to one of those like you know, beach hut things, those things that go out over the water. We're going to that in, like, October. And, like, me and my kids are talking about Bora Bora, and somebody gets mad. Like, why are you talking about Bora Bora? We're going to Orlando. Yeah, I know we're going to Orlando, and I'm super pumped. I'm just I'm just talking about Bora Bora, because I'm also excited about that. I don't know why you're mad at me about this. There's a lot of awesome going on, and I'm talking about the different kinds of awesome. Relax. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's where I'm at. And, and, and part of the thing is, too, there's so much awesome going on. I mean, if, if we win this game, we got another game next week. And if we win that game, we got the Super Bowl after that. And, and then after that, it's it's not like, but then it's over. And it's and maybe that's why some people get so upset is because when the season is over, when the Packers season is over, it's months and months of misery. I don't see it as misery. Like I talked about at the beginning of the podcast, don't leave. We're just getting warmed up, dude. This is when, this is, this is in the off season is when you can dream. Right, right now, we can dream about a Super Bowl, that's true. But we know what the team is. We're not dreaming about Marquez maybe being the best wide receiver in football. Like, if you're dreaming about that, you are officially dreaming. You need to wake up. But just all the possibilities that are available, because we've seen some of these amazing transformations of teams, like what the Packers did this year. Imagine if they take a similar step. Imagine if Gutekunst does to the offense what he did to the defense last year. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm going to get excited. Because it's just from, from this second, right now, over the next couple months, it's nothing but awesome, and I'm excited about the whole thing, tomorrow included. Anyways, let's take our break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about our two games that are going on today, and then we'll call it. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. 
Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so let's start with the Baltimore Ravens and the Tennessee Titans. Um, I want to start with my new favorite activity, which is trying to look at their score totals to get a better idea of what these teams are about. I already talked about Baltimore because of how absolutely freakishly incredible they are. And one of the things I mentioned was how the defense essentially sets a bar and the offense sets a bar. All right, so the offense says, hey, look, if you can keep them below this point, we'll be all right. The defense says, hey, if you can score at least this much, we'll hold them down to, to about this. Defensively, this team has never lost when the defense holds them to 23 points. That's sort of the offensive bar, if that makes any sense. Only twice has a team um, crossed that threshold. The Kansas City Chiefs scored 33. Cleveland Browns scored 40. The Ravens lost both of those games. So the defense has done a fantastic job outside of those two games that they lost. There have only been three games, so five in total, in which a team has scored more or 20 points or more. So that is to say there have been 12 games this year that have been under 20 the defense has held them to, which is why they're number one in points, number two in yards. The defense is playing out of their mind. Now the crazy thing is usually there's some kind of overlap. So the defense is able to hold teams down to about 23 points. The offense has never once scored below 20 points this year. In fact, that 23-point mark, only one time has the offense scored less than 23 points. That was against the San Francisco 49ers, and the defense held them to 17. So that was obviously a pretty close game. So generally, the defense would like the offense to score 23 or more points, and they've done that 15 out of 16 times. This offense is third in points and fourth in yards. So this is a pretty incredible, one of the better teams that I shouldn't say has ever been because I don't exactly know, but when I went back and looked at Super Bowl winners, very few teams were better than, you know, first in points, second in yards, third uh, in defensive points allowed, and fourth in yards allowed. Right, the, the Packers of the 90s, that was one of the best and most dominant teams, pretty much number one across the board except defensive yards. I think they were like fourth or fifth. So this, this is a really, really talented group. I want to look at one other thing here because I mentioned to you um, how this is, depending on what metric we're talking about, arguably, depending on how much we want to stock you want to put in this, what Lamar Jackson is doing, one of the best performances we've seen in football history. So one of the things that Pro Football Reference does is they have a thing called AV, or approximate value. Now, it's it's no different than anything else, where it's taking data and trying to make sense of it a little bit. And all they're really trying to do is determine how much value you provided in a given year, or game, or what, whatever. And so just for fun, as I was digging around looking at approximate value, I found out that they have a sheet of best, or leaders, all time in approximate value. And this goes way back. I'm talking they've, they're using these formulas in the 60s. And so they have just a giant ranking of approximate value. So, for example, Aaron Rodgers is actually tied for seventh. When we're looking at single season, Aaron Rodgers in 2011 had an approximate value of 23. 
That is tied with Jim Brown in 1964, Priest Holmes in 2002, Ray Lewis in 2000, right? Uh, Just down the line. Uh, The next highest, 24, Tom Brady in 2007, and Roland Lawrence, 1977, Atlanta Falcons. People with 25 overall approximate value, 1999 Marshall Falk, 1975 O.J. Simpson. Only two people have ever had an AV of 26, in 2006, LaDainian Tomlinson, and 2019 Lamar Jackson. Now again, you can go read about it. He's got like 15 pages. If you're into all the data and you want to scrutinize it and all that stuff, that's fine. But again, essentially what he was trying to do is, and it's funny because I was just talking about this, right? Looking at Pro Bowls and all this other stuff is kind of nonsense. And all he was trying to do is say, there's got to be a better way than looking at games played, Pro Bowls, you know, all pro and just making lists, because if you make a list of it, it just, it doesn't make sense. It's not a list of best players. And so this is what he came up with. So again, this isn't necessarily all encompassing, but the fact of the matter is this is unbelievable. The fact that Lamar Jackson, what Lamar Jackson is doing right now. The other thing that's incredible is the fact that he is 22 years old. Pat Mahomes is the only other 22 year old that I can find even close to there that made this list. He had an AV of 22 overall in 2018. So last year's Pat Mahomes, according to this, and you can figure out, again, whatever metric you like to use, that's fine. I just want to bring this to your attention to kind of give some credit to Lamar Jackson, especially since there's been so much scrutiny over Lamar Jackson and what he's going to be able to do for him to be able to pull this off and and to do what he's doing is absolutely remarkable. As a football fan, I'm excited because when I looked at Lamar Jackson in college, I remember thinking he's either going to be a complete bust or he's going to be just an absolute freak. I mean, if he can reach his full potential, he's going to be the best quarterback in football, and it seems like he has reached his full potential in his second year. We'll see if it lasts. I don't know. Pat Mahomes seems to be on a downward swing, which I said that last year, right? There's no reason to believe he's always going to stay up there. Might start to regress. Sure enough, he seems to be regressing. But still, this is this is potentially a performance for the ages, and I just want to be able to make sure we all recognize what we're witnessing right now. Potentially one of the best performances of any football player in any season ever. So anyways, with that being said, um, go Titans. (laughs) I mean, as a football fan, if I had no rooting interest, I would absolutely root for the Ravens because they deserve to win. As a Packer fan, get out of my face with this nonsense. Um, Looking over at the Tennessee Titans, though, if we look at the Tennessee Titans since Ryan Tannehill took over, offensively, they're actually kind of similar to the... um, the Baltimore Ravens, in that they have never been below 20 points since Tannehill took over. So prior to Tannehill, they lost to the Denver Broncos 0-16, to lost to the Buffalo Bills 7-14. to They lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars 7-20. to They lost to the Colts 17-19. to They only were over 20 points twice before Tannehill. Since then, they've never been below 20 points. The biggest problem, though, is that the defense has seemingly fallen off. Prior to Tannehill, the, the points scored against them, and granted, these are not very good offenses, the Browns, Colts, Jaguars, Falcons, Bills, Broncos, but 13, 19, 20, 10, 14, 16. They, 20 was the highest point total that they've been scored against. Since then, 20, 23, 30, 32, 2017, 21, 24, 38, 14, 13. So offensively, the Titans have been rolling ever since Tannehill got on board, which is probably part of the reason, if you look at how bad they were prior to Tannehill, how good they've been since, probably part of the reason he's graded currently as the number one quarterback in all of football, according to PFF. And understand, the reason Lamar is as high as he is as a thrower, he's top ten. As a runner, he's by far number one. All right, it's the total package with Lamar. But again, as as a true thrower, he's he's very good, but he's certainly not the best thrower of the football. That right now is is being given to uh, Ryan Tannehill. 
Interestingly enough about this as well, I said 23 points was kind of the, the, the line in the sand for Baltimore. It's actually the exact same for the Titans. The Titans are 9-1 when they've scored at least 23 points. They've only won one game when they've scored less than 23 points. Hilariously, that was against the Patriots just last week. That's the only win they have when they've scored less than 23 points. They scored 20 against the Patriots and won. So for this game, for the, for the, the Packers game, the, the line is usually around 24. For this game, the line is going to be about 23. And I'll admit, the Titans keeping the Baltimore Ravens under 23 seems very unlikely, but that's going to have to be the goal here. The other interesting thing about the Baltimore Ravens, and granted, they have only lost those two games, but the two games that they lost is when the defense just lost control of the game. If you look at the offense, there's really no correlation there. They just kind of do their thing and they win games. But um, if you look at first downs allowed on, on defense, 22 first downs or more, they're one and two. If you look at passing yards, or total yards for that matter, um, the third most passing yards they gave up was 349. The two games that they lost, 503, 530. They just got annihilated through the air. Passing yards specifically, the, the two most passing yards were the Chiefs and the Browns. So as, as much as, the hard thing is that the way you seemingly beat the Baltimore Ravens is just dominate their defense. The thing is, I don't think that's what the Titans are going to do. I think the Titans' best bet is to play really, really good defense and on offense just try to get to like 24, 27 points. I don't see this being like a 40-point game. Right, The two games they lost, the, the Chiefs scored 33, the Browns scored 40. I don't think you want that as your goal. Try to get upper 20s and, and your defense just really needs to kick it in gear. And so we'll see what happens. I, I think Baltimore is, is probably going to win the game, but I, I actually really think if there was one team right now that I thought would beat the the Baltimore Ravens, I actually do think it would be the Titans. Just because I think the Titans are built for playoff football right now. They've got the offense, they've got the defense, they've got the quarterback, they've just got everything kind of in place to just be one of those slow-moving steamrollers. I mean, depending on what you think about the Chiefs' defense having genuinely improved, if they're for real, and they're, I mean, they are seventh in points right now. Seemingly since they're by, their defense has just been dominant, but they've also, what, you know, they allow three points against the Bears, three points against the Broncos. These aren't exactly great teams. The Raiders, not exactly a great team. Patriots' offense has been terrible. Chargers are okay and got to 21 points. It's entirely possible they're just steamrolling terrible teams. But, you know, maybe their defense is legit, in which case, yeah, the Chiefs would probably be better suited. But that's fine. They're probably going to win and play the Baltimore Ravens next week, and we'll find out. But anyways, let's move on to our final game, which obviously is the most important game, the Minnesota Vikings playing the San Francisco 49er. I don't super want to get into who I want to win, because I really just, because you can either look at this as either way this is horrible, or either way this is awesome. And I prefer to look at this as either way it's awesome. Because in reality, both of those things are true, but I don't want to believe both of them. Either way, it's, it's horrible. The fact of the matter is, if the Vikings pull off a victory, that's awesome for two reasons. Number one, they did the dirty work and took out both the Saints and the 49ers, which is great. And second of all, we get another home game to play a team that we just seem to have their number. So the odds of us winning go through the roof. On the other hand, if the 49ers win, even though our odds of winning a Super Bowl plummet, the Vikings are out. So, burn. Plus, there's no guarantee we beat the Seattle Seahawks, so if the Vikings do lose, at the very least, we know that we got as far as they did. And if the Vikings win and the Packers lose, that's just the worst weekend ever. So if the Vikings lose, we can at least be confident and happy that they're out of it. And they are not winning a Super Bowl. Ha ha, na-na-na-boo-boo. But I, it, I just, I kind of just don't like saying that because I feel like I'm... It's like the cowardly thing to say, you know? Should be all like, yeah, we're going to beat them and we're going to go into to San Francisco and, and beat them. Or, you know, 
Conversely, it doesn't matter if the Vikings win because we're beating Seattle and then we'll beat the Vikings. But you know what? I worry a little bit. Sometimes I worry. And I just don't want the Vikings to win and us f- to lose and then them to have to hear them all offseason talk about how they're better. Which they can't. However, if they win a Super Bowl or get to the Super Bowl, they, they kind of have some right to talk. And that just makes me feel sick to my stomach. I just don't want to deal with it. So again, either way, happy. Either the Vikings do our dirty work or the Vikings get eliminated from the playoffs. And that's actually going to happen in just a few hours. 3.30, my time. So the interesting thing about the 49ers is as much as we want to look at them as just this dominant, can't-be-beat kind of a team, let's not forget that it was December 15th they lost to the Falcons at their home stadium. This is as much a volatile team as any others. And I know it's it's only the Packers that are fraudulent 13-3 and teams because they almost lost to Detroit. However, the 49ers are legit, even though they just lost to the Falcons. So th- there's no guarantee that this thing is locked up. They have the ability to look like garbage just like anybody else. And by the way, this defense, despite being seen as one of the top defenses, um, the, over the last few weeks, the Chiefs are definitely better. The Ravens are clearly better. I mean, 21, 31, 29, 46, 20. Prior to that was 8, which is the Green Bay Packers, which is the last time anybody... It, it seems like... This is what's so weird about this. People pick one game as, as just the, the embodiment of who you are. People look at that Packers game and say, that's why the Packers are terrible, that's why the 49ers are great. Despite the fact that since then their record is 3-2, and two, they only scored 17 points against the Ravens and allowed 20. They did beat the Saints, but allowed 46 points in that game. 46. Then they lost to the Falcons because they could only score 22 points against one of the worst offenses in football and allowed 29 points to, to an offense that's not very good. Then they allowed 31 points from the Rams, but won because they scored 34. They, they won by three against a Rams team that's just not that great. And then they beat the Seahawks, which is just obviously proof that they're dominant, despite the fact that the Seahawks are just beaten, battered, and bloody. Are complete. They have nothing left. It's basically Russell Wilson dragging this bag of bones around. But yet, that's why the 49ers are just an elite dominant team. I'm sorry, this is not the same team that we saw at the beginning of the year. 31-17, 41-17, 24-20, 31-3, 20-7. 9-0, 51-13. That Carolina Panthers game was probably the last time we saw in just an elite, dominant team. Since then, 28-5, 24-7, lost. 36-26 is fairly good, but it's the Cardinals. 37-8, dominant, right? Packers. That was like the last little glimpse. And then, again, 17-20, 48-46, 20-29, loss. 34-31 and 26-21. to There's nothing super dominant about that. There just isn't. In their last two home games, again, Barely beat the Rams by three and lost to the Falcons. But before that was the Packers game, and that's all we care about. Super dominant. They beat the Packers 38-7, and the Packers almost lost to the Detroit Lions, so that's the narrative. Packers are fraudulent. 49ers are elite. Okay. The Vikings defense, on the other hand, 20 points, 21, 23, 10, and 7. Before that was 37 to the Seahawks, but, you know, if we're just looking at what they've been doing recently... Their defense has been impressive. Not elite. I mean, 23, 21, 20. They've allowed at least 20 points the last three weeks. One of those to the Bears, by the way, which is not great. But then offensively, 20, 39, 10, 19, 26. Again, not super great. 10 against the Packers. Only 20 against the Lions. And their record is 3-2 and two the last five weeks. But, you know, compare the Vikings to the 49ers. How much more dominant are the 49ers and the Vikings over the last couple weeks? I just feel like we carry this narrative that... The Vikings, even though nobody calls them it, are kind of frauds. They don't really belong. They're they're not. They shouldn't be there. I mean, clearly they're better than the Packers. I mean, you know, 
Packers are just the worst. They're basically a four-win team that's just fraudulently stumbled into 13 wins. But, you know, the Vikings don't really belong. They can't play against the 49ers. I don't know, man. It really just depends on which 49ers team and which Vikings team shows up. If this is the 49ers team that showed up against the the Atlanta Falcons and this is the Vikings team that, you know, played the Chargers 39-10, to or even the Saints last week for that matter, the 49ers are going to get annihilated. And And here's the thing. That doesn't necessarily mean, you know, if, if they beat the 49ers, that doesn't mean, dude, this is this is super scary because they just beat the, the two best teams in the NFC and it's not even close. And so the Packers are doomed. They don't stand a chance. I, I would say beating the, the Saints was more impressive than the 49ers considering the volatility of the 49ers and the fact that they just haven't been as elite as, as people want to give them credit for, especially over these last few weeks. So I'm still picking the 49ers. I think the 49ers at their best are probably going to be able to beat the Minnesota Vikings, but the Vikings have what it takes. Eighth in points, fifth in points on defense. They have the ability to put up a lot of points and hold teams down. The The injuries at corner are going to come into play. Xavier, uh, excuse me, Mackenzie Alexander being out is pretty big. Uh, J. Ron Kirst being doubtful, and then Adam Thielen being questionable. I'm guessing he's, I mean, that's going to be massive if Adam Thielen doesn't play. But on the flip side, you got Mike Person. Elijah Lee are both probably pretty good, and then Contavia Street and D Ford are questionable, probably both going to play. We'll see. I, th- I do think the, the Vikings are going to have a hard time because the 49ers have a decent enough offensive line bringing a lot of pressure. If they can bring pressure, that's great. If not, there's just so many weapons, especially with Mackenzie Alexander out trying to stop Sander as well as Kittle. And they do have good safeties, but again, linebackers that can cover, not quite so much. Good linebackers, but coverage isn't really their strength. I, I, I just think this is going to be a pretty good football game. And again, I, I really don't care. I'm not mad if you're rooting for the Vikings. I, I, I wouldn't phrase it that way. I would say I'm not mad if you want the 49ers to lose more than you want the Vikings to lose. That's probably the better way to phrase it. And I'm not mad if you want the, the, the Vikings to lose more than the 49ers to lose. Either way, one of these teams is going to lose, and that's awesome. Today, two teams that we don't want to play are going to be gone. And that's just a positive thing. So, I don't know, man. I'm excited. I'm amped up. We got football today. I'm going to be real excited to see either the 49ers or the Vikings get annihilated uh, this 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 afternoon. Because to be honest, I don't like either of these teams. I do not like the 49ers at all. I'm still mad at the 49ers since the Kaepernick days. Just like I don't like Seattle. Those two teams I just do not like at all. And so one of two teams that I very much dislike are getting eliminated from the playoffs, and I think we should uh, have the right to celebrate that. But anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Got Packers football and uh, got the opportunity to take one step closer to a Super Bowl. Very, very excited. Enjoy your day. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.